Hey everyone, welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. This election cycle has already put a fine point on all of the things that divide us as voters. And one of those things is age. Pundits love to speculate about how candidates are faring with younger voters or how they're doing with older voters and how those generational differences help define the struggle to hold together as a nation. Late last year on this show, we convened a panel of women representing four different generations of voters, and we asked them how they view this year's election and the political climate in 2020. It was a really lively and enlightening conversation. Now we want to do the same thing with the opposite side of the gender spectrum. We have assembled a group of four men who represent four different generations in our society to talk about American politics. And the timing of this is no accident. Last night, of course, was the first Democratic debate of 2020 and the last debate before the Iowa caucuses happen early next month. So the stakes were very high for everyone who was on stage last night. If you watched, you saw, I think, a little more tension between some of the candidates than we have seen in previous debates. You certainly saw people trying to define themselves a little better, maybe distinguish themselves from other candidates on the stage. And of course, the atmosphere was a little more charged because it was in Iowa and because Iowa is now the next chapter in the election saga. They will have their caucuses in early February. We want to talk about what we heard last night and what we saw last night on stage, and we want to put it in the context of the greater political debates that are going on and, of course, the climate in which all of this is taking place, Uh, a much more charged climate than we had four or eight years ago when we last had presidential elections. We also want to hear from you this hour. What did you think of what you saw from the candidates on stage last night in Iowa. What are you thinking about as you get ready to cast your own vote here in Michigan in just a few months for the Democratic uh, nominee who will take on Donald Trump in November? Uh, Is there somebody who's standing out to you now more than they stood out to you just a few months ago? Is there someone who you saw last night who really closed the deal with you in a way that they hadn't before. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And now I want to introduce the four men who are joining us this hour to talk about all of this. Brian Dickerson is the editorial page editor at the Detroit Free Press. He is a member of the baby boom generation. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Steve. Uh, Adrian Hemond is a partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest, a bipartisan advocacy firm. Adrian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Yes, you are a member of Gen X, as am I. Uh, Orlando Bailey is Chief Development Officer for the Eastside Community Network and the host of the Urban Consulate, as well as a really scintillating podcast called Authentically Detroit. He is a millennial. Orlando, welcome to Detroit. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yes. And Adam Abusala is the Legislative Assistant at the Wayne County Commission, District 13. He is a member of Gen Z. Adam, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to start with reactions 
instant reactions to last night's debate. Obviously, there were fewer candidates on stage than we have seen in some of the other debates. The lines, again, are being drawn a little more sharply, I think, between the candidates. What did we think of what we saw? Brian, I will start with you. Steve, like a lot of older people, I suffer from fatigue. (laughs) And last (laughs) night, uh, I I found that every one of the six candidates on stage elicited that. That they seemed fatigued or they made you fatigued? (laughs) They made me fatigued. None of them are new faces to me anymore. I feel like I've been exposed to each of them at length now that I can predict accurately what they're going to say in response to almost any question. And for me, I woke up to the headline of the debate this morning, which is that in Michigan, at least, Mike Bloomberg, the man who wasn't on the stage, Mm -hmm. enjoys a larger margin advantage over in a one-on-one matchup with Donald Trump than any of the six candidates we saw last night. And he is, when he makes it to the stage, he's going to be the new face. And and that's going to be worth some momentum, I think. Yeah. I wonder, though, if we will see Mike Bloomberg in debates. I think it seems like his strategy so far is to stay a little bit in the margins and stay out of this fray so that he doesn't suffer the same kind of damage, I guess, you know, reputational damage or, or poll damage, that happens when you get on stage and scrap with the with the other candidates. But but I, I saw that poll as well, and I thought if I were any of the candidates who were on stage last night, it would it would scare the bejesus out of me. The the idea that a guy who's not really in the race is doing better uh, than any of them. Uh, Adrian Heman, uh, tell us what you thought uh, as a Gen Xer watching all of this unfold last night. Well, I think the um, the debate was kind of a snooze fest. Um, you know, there, there wasn't much in the way of fireworks, as Brian pointed out. There was certainly really nothing new. Um, I did think it was interesting how much time got spent on foreign policy uh, towards the beginning of the debate, um, which is obviously um, pretty strong territory for former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, I thought he came out of the debate pretty well just because, in general, he's leading national polls and he didn't take any damage last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the mission for him is, you know, don't do anything stupid, don't screw up. And I think he met that test. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar. <laughs> the bar is pretty low in this whole primary process so far. Don't screw up, right? <laughs> you know, he didn't screw up. But when Joe Biden, when it's Joe Biden's turn to talk, everybody tenses a little bit. Everybody everybody gets anxious, and no one gets more anxious than people who share his age cohort and know the the frailties that that, uh, they're subject to at that age. And I have to say, until the—he's sort of like an old cathode uh, ray television who takes a while to warm up. He seems to get stronger as the night goes on, on. but for the first— Hour, which is, of course, uh, all that most people who tuned yeah, in saw. That, right? He was he was he was quiet. He was he was not a He just uh, didn't project the energy that many of the other candidates on stage did. Yeah, yeah. No, he's had a hard time, obviously, and has had a, a number of slip ups too in terms of the way he answers questions and kind of forgets some of the stuff that's uh, that's going on. Orlando Bailey, you're a millennial. Does yeah. this look different to you because of your age and experience than it does to 
some of our well, other guests. Well, you know, I got to agree with Brian. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everyone's one, tired. I, right? I, I am. One of, the, you know, one of the things that was clear last night was that these people practice, right? They practice uh, being very calculated and being very measured. I actually thought Elizabeth Warren had a strong night last night. She stayed on her message. She was able to tell the stories that she wanted to tell. And more importantly for me, she spoke to some of the things that I have been looking for uh, presidential candidates to speak on in her closing remarks. I thought mostly everyone had great closing remarks, but Elizabeth Warren said poverty uh, uh, explicitly, mm-hmm. and there needs to be work around poverty. She, she spoke to racism. She spoke to uh, the penalization of poverty and uh, the injustices that happened um, in our penal system in mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. And I think for uh, the millennial generation, and I'm kind of in the middle to upper tier of the millennial generation. You know, we, we're we wide, you know, from like 81 to like 96 or something like that. So it's, you know, it's a spectrum of us. Those are some of the things that I wanted to hear as we continue to do work here in the city of Detroit yeah. toward building community. So you're looking for a, a candidate who's actually addressing the kinds of things that you see and are trying to work on every day. Yeah, absolutely. When we talk about uh, serving, I work for Eastside Community Network. We serve the east side of Detroit and some of our constituencies, the most marginalized and poorest among us. And it seems as if uh, there is a focus to uplift the middle class, but the people I work with aren't even middle class, right. you know. So who's speaking to that marginalized population who bear the brunt of environmental racism, who bear the brunt of uh capitalism and their the redistribution of their tax dollars to cover you know our our services and to pay for our government so i really wanted to hear that it it there was not a lot of time in the debate to get to that but i thought her closing statements yeah, i was going to say they, they haven't spent a lot of time talking about no. those issues at any of the democratic debates no. which is a it's little even bit even when they were here yeah, i thought right, it was like we're in detroit guys and you know we <laughs> i didn't hear them really speak to what was happening in the city of detroit yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. uh adam abusala your legislative assistant at the wayne county commission for district 13 a member of generation z the 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 youngest generation in in america how did you react to what you saw during the debate I feel like for my generation, uh, the debate last night was kind of a reflection of what this like whole campaign has been about. And I feel, and a lot of people, you know, in my, you know, in my my friends feel that yesterday the the topics that were discussed weren't the topics that we were focused on. And like a lot of people would say, like Generation Z is up for grabs. And you know, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party should focus a lot about uh, should focus a lot on the uh, Generation Z because we're 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 ready to, you know, fight for the things that we need, but they got to motivate us to go out to the polls. Yesterday, I felt like we weren't motivated. A lot of the things that we were focused on weren't talked about. And I feel if the Democrats don't talk about what Generation Z is looking for, then you'll sit home. In, uh, I'm, 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 in I won't, no. but, I'm, <laughs> no, right. but I'm afraid but a, a lot the, will. The royal you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder how a Generation Z viewer reacted when I, I was struck by, that both Buttigieg and Steyer during the questions on foreign policy experience tried to reframe it, said this is not about experience. The experienced generation is, is the generation that brought us to this mess. <laughs> this is about judgment. 
And yeah. they both they both made the case that they've demonstrated judgment superior to the more experienced candidates. Did that uh, did that ring any bells with hmm. you? I think for my generation, experience matters, but also consistency matters. And 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 we want someone. We're not just looking for anybody, obviously, but we're looking for someone who has the experience. I mean, like Pete Buttigieg. I got a lot of mixed feelings about him, but that's a different topic. But I think experience does matter. But like I said, consistency matters. And we want uh, people who have been talking about these issues for a while. And we don't want someone that's just going to flip-flop on foreign policy and flip-flop on policy here in America. We want someone who's been consistent on these issues and people who have been consistent with things that we believe in. And I feel maybe Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are the top two candidates for our generation who have been consistent on the issues that we care about. Yeah, uh, Talk just a little more about what those issues are from your perspective. What are the things that you need them to be talking about that they aren't? I think for uh, people in my generation, you know, if, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, or independents, I think a, a big issue for us is the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like yesterday we they didn't um, pinpoint uh, facts and, and they didn't talk about the, the statistics that matter. Um, so the environment is a huge issue, uh, and gun control is, is a huge issue for us too. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm saying like Republicans and independents and Democrats in my generation, those are issues that matter to us. Yeah. You know, uh, medical care is, is a big issue for us and, you know, uh, immigration and, and foreign policy, but issues that matter to us are the ones that statistics shows are going to hurt us in the next 10, 15 years, uh, these are issues that they're not talking about. So I, I hopefully in, you know, the Democrats, because in 2020, I'm looking for a different, you know, president, obviously, mm-hmm. but hopefully the Democrats in 2020, they start talking about issues that matter most to us. Is it that you feel, and you're right, that during the debates, there's no question they aren't talking a whole lot about these things, but you do have candidates who have very specific prescriptive policy ideas about some of those issues about climate change, uh, about the environment. If you had to give sort of points to, to the candidates in terms of how they have addressed these things more generally outside the debates, are, are there candidates you think are doing better at that than, than others? I feel that there are. I know that like a lot of candidates um, have been talking about uh, issues. Like Elizabeth Warren, uh, for example, she's not my choice for 2020, but she has pinpointed a lot of these topics. You know, she has been talking about climate change for a, a very long time. Now, you know, four years ago, this wasn't the ideal topic that, you know, the presidential candidates were talking about. Why Bernie Sanders is my pick is because 40 years ago, this was a topic that he was talking about. And like I said, with consistency, that's what's important to us. Hmm. I mean, for our generation, with all due respect to the other generations. <laughs> <laughs> he just looked at Brian. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, for our generation, like we've seen like the, the, the problems that have gone on with, uh, you know, the generations before us. And we've seen how um, other, you know, citizens have been neglected by these politicians. So we're looking for consistency. We're looking for people who have been, you know, on the front lines who have been talking about this for like a long time. And I'll tell you like and, and that's why I say like Bernie Sanders is my, you, you know, he's my pick because for the last 40 years he's been talking about these but for someone like Elizabeth Warren, who I appreciate and, and I and I, I appreciate all the work she, that she does and and her commitment. But four years ago, eight years ago, a lot of these topics were radical for her. Um, 
many other people on the, the, the stage. These ideas were radical for them four years ago, eight years ago, and that's why they chose to back Hillary Clinton. Yeah. But for me, Bernie Sanders has been talking about these issues for a long time, and that's being consistent. And like I said, like we've seen the we've seen the problems that our generations before have gone through. So that's why we're looking for consistency and we're looking for someone who has been talking about these issues. And that's how I that's why I feel that Bernie Sanders is the best for my generation. Hmm. So so if we come out of uh, uh, New Hampshire and Iowa and Super Tuesday and Bernie Sanders has faltered. Yeah, because by the time they get to Michigan, the candidates are going to have been through 18 other state primaries and, and somebody on that stage is not really going to be it's viable. not going to be there, sure. Uh, if Bernie falters, where do you go? The The conventional wisdom of uh, people of my generation is that uh, if Sanders falters, Warren will pick up his support and vice versa. Is, that, is there any merit in that? So what I'm going to be looking for is, you know, personally for me, and then I think a lot of people in my generation too who lean Democrat, we're going to be looking for the most progressive candidate. And whether that's Elizabeth Warren or or Bernie Sanders, whether both of them are in the race or not, I think we're going to be looking for the most progressive candidate. And obviously for me, uh, maybe this isn't something that my generation focuses on a lot, but for me and like many other Democrats, you know, my main focus is who can beat Trump. And for me, for example, right now, I, I feel that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, although he, you know, I wouldn't want to see that. I feel that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are, are the two that can beat Trump. I feel that Elizabeth Warren, she doesn't motivate um, many, you know, different parts of the Democratic Party. Um, so I feel that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. That's really interesting. Um, but I don't know about yeah. Elizabeth Orlando, Warren. Orlando, go ahead. Well, you know, I, th I, I do think that there is a question of who can unite the Democratic Party. One critique that we would have for Bernie Sanders is that when he did not get the nomination in 2016, he didn't do enough to sway his supporters to go out and come out strong for Hillary Clinton. And I'm wondering... Uh, what will happen out of the caucuses and out of the primaries if he should not make it, if he's going to do enough to uh, draw his supporters to whomever the Democratic candidate is, because yeah. we do want uh, Donald Trump out. I think, though, to your point, Adam, about consistency, I think consistency is key. But I also think that evolution has to happen, especially for folks who are running um, in these races. There are folks who have had uh, a viewpoint on things and got in there and experienced things and have changed their viewpoint. I remember when President Obama was beginning to run and he came out against uh, LGBTQ equal rights. Yeah. And as he began to campaign and talk to people more, his viewpoint evolved. So I think evolution is welcomed. I, I hope. <laughs> I hope it's welcome. I think our conversations have to be a tad bit more nuanced than uh, you're right and this is wrong. You know, I, it was funny to me that the tension that we sort of felt last night between Elizabeth Sanders and Bernie, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. around this private conversation that happened uh, as to him saying or not saying that a woman uh, couldn't win. And it's, I think we're looking at it sort of in this right and wrong way versus asking ourselves the question, uh, what what did he mean? What did he mean if he said a woman couldn't win? Did mm -hmm. is he saying that a woman can't beat Trump right now? You know right. there you know there are many uh, facets and you know uh, tenets to what what to how we have to look at these conversations. The other the only other thing that I would say is that I don't appreciate uh, 
news uh, corporations becoming the news. And CNN has done a really, you know, <laughs> good job of becoming the news. Yeah. Um, yeah. And cheapening. That's happened for all of the networks during yeah. all of the debates, I feel. And cheapening, I think, the, the debate stage in, with some of these questions, right? Uh, the, the Sanders and Warren question and, see it, you know, CNN reported. And now we have to have this discussion on stage. You two I, fight. Yeah, yeah. Let's fight. See yeah, fight. let's see you fight. Let's see you spar. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's uh, Orlando made two really good points. Um, one is the general credibility of cable news media right now, which is um, I, I think it's low. safe to say it in nadir right now. Um, and you know, Republicans in 2016 rightly criticized um, you know CNN specifically um, around their coverage of the Clinton candidacy. You know, the joke I've been making is that you know the fuel pump in Hillary Clinton's caddy wasn't as far in the tank for her as <laughs> um, as CNN was. Um, I think the other uh, really important uh, point that Orlando made is the one about evolution, right? Um, if you're happy with how things are right now, then yes, absolutely. Let's hold people to the views that they've held for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. Um, I don't think most people um, on either side of the aisle are particularly happy with where our country's at right now. And just historically, um, stasis has always been bad for America, right? We want people to grow and evolve. Um, you know, thankfully, um, particularly for um, you know, all the brown folks around this table, um, you know, views in America on things like race have evolved quite a bit. And thank God for that. Yes. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with our all male intergenerational panel talking about their reactions to the debate and their sense of where we are with political climate here in 2020. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Jim in Waterford, Ted in Detroit. We will get to you next to hear what is on your minds. Uh, You can also go to WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and leave comments and we'll try to work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. My guests this hour are a group of four men who represent four different generations in our society. Brian Dickerson is the editorial page editor of the Detroit Free Press and a member of the Baby Boom generation. Adrian Heeman is a partner and CEO at Grassroots Midwest. He is a member of Gen X, as am I. Orlando Bailey is a chief development officer at the Eastside Community Network. Work. He is a millennial, and Adam Abusala is the legislative assistant at the Wayne County Commission District 13. He is a member of Gen Z. We're talking about American politics. We saw a little bit of that on display last night on CNN during the presidential Democratic presidential debate in Iowa in advance of the Iowa caucuses, which will happen in early February. It will be the first balloting of the presidential election here in 2020. Uh, We're talking also about how that fits in the context of the political climate in 2020. What are the things 
that matter most to the different generations that make up American society? And what do we expect to see from these candidates who would be president? We also want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. I want to start this segment with a clip that is something that Orlando Bailey was talking a little bit about before we took our before we took our break. This is the exchange about whether a woman could win the presidency between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years? not believe that a woman could become president of the United States. And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. (laughs) But if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So, Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? (laughs) I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, And I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So, can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. (laughs) The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. Okay, that was a really, I thought, interesting exchange between... Bernie Sanders and the the questioners on the CNN panel, and then Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Orlando, you were talking a little bit about this before the break. What's your reaction now that you hear it again in the light of day? It's it's absolutely it's Elizabeth Warren uh, recovered that masterfully. Mm. She did a masterful job shifting the conversation because truth be told, only Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren know what actually happened. Between the two of them. Between the two of them. And so we can speculate all day long. I don't know if it is helpful, but for uh, Elizabeth Warren to masterfully shift the conversation onto uh, winning records and, you know, just sort of set the record straight that uh, women have the ability to win elections. I mean, look at what happened in the midterms in 2018. Look at the new makeup of the House of Representatives. Right. Uh uh, it, it is definitely possible. And she 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 practiced. She rehearsed. She did good. <laughs> she did that. Yeah. She did handle that really yeah. well. Uh, anybody else have thoughts about that uh, that exchange? You know, I, I think it's, um, you know, to, to Orlando's earlier point about the news media, um, I thought that that was kind of a shameful way that CNN handled that entire thing. Oh, yeah, thing. absolutely. They tried um, to cast it as a, a gotcha, right? Right. Or, or a, 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 Abby called him a, a liar. Essentially. Essentially. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's right. I, I, I was not impressed with the way CNN handled that moment. And the debate in general, I, I thought that the candidates, for the most part, did what they needed to do. Um, especially Biden and Warren, but um, I was not impressed with the way CNN handled that entire debate. Hmm. I, I've I've said 
uh, before and after every debate. What are we on now? Nine, ten? I think it's nine, yeah. Uh, 30 seconds is too short. And two hours is too long. <laughs> right. Uh, the the, the format is is not helpful. The stamina required to remain alert throughout two hours. I don't know who who has it. I, I wonder whether some of the candidates have it at this point. I certainly don't. Um, <laughs> and nothing is more aggravating me than to hear a, a candidate making a nuanced point. Somebody like Amy Klobuchar interrupted. Uh, insistently after 30 seconds so that somebody like Tom Steyer, nice guy who is not going to be the Democratic nominee, uh, gets his his moment in the sun. It, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Amy Klobuchar did not care, though. She she was like, I'm going to get this point out. I'm going to yeah, keep talking. No, I have notes not. that I need to get out. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking. She does it, not shrink from almost any channel. She does. I've I've always liked her. I continue to like her. I think she had an uneven night last night. There is, yeah. uh, there, and I, I say this as a big champion of hers, there is a little sob in her voice uh, in response, as though she's getting choked up. Yeah. No, it's and, just, and it's, just a little thing. There's a tentativeness, I think, that... Uh, she, she did say something forthrightly and clearly that I thought was important. She said the candidates who are talking about uh, Medicare for all or Medicaid for all are betting on a number that's not even on the roulette wheel. I think that's absolutely astute. Medicare for all won't won't even be introduced, won't come to a vote in a Democratic House. Right. It certainly won't mm-hmm. come to a vote in a Democratic Senate or Republican Senate. And you couldn't even get the public option through the Senate mm-hmm. when yeah. it was Democratic. It, and and for for Democratic candidates to lead with an issue that is an absolute non-starter, non-starter for a majority of the electorate is is inexplicable. Not yeah. just a majority of the electorate either. A uh, majority of Democrats. Right, exactly. A majority right. of Democrats. I mean, that's one of the things that's most striking about this entire primary process is um, – you know, a lot of this exercise, the campaigning and these debates, is is really about giving lip service to the core constituencies of your party, and the candidates are almost universally doing a bad job of that. Um, you know, uh, you know, Orlando pointed out that um, at, you know at least Elizabeth Warren, in her closing statement, got to talking about things like poverty. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about the base of the Democratic Party, right? It's um, Typically not wealthy people, and right. yet you see a lot of these discussions about um, around issues. It's supposed issues. to be the party that's concerned about people who are poor. That's right, right. Yeah. and it's um, it's shocking how little the candidates are actually addressing these concerns of core constituencies of the Democratic Party, like black women. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's shocking. Uh, yeah. uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what your reactions were to the debate last night. Call and tell us what you think about generational differences uh, in the way that we think about politics and candidates in 2020. Uh, do you think the, the generation that you fall under matters when you are making decisions at the ballot box or when you're sitting and watching debates and thinking about who's winning and who's losing? Uh, let's start with uh, Dawn in Lathrop. Dawn, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Hey. Um, I just wanted to call and express, I know you've already mentioned the fact that this is an all-male panel, but that is is disconcerting. Um, It was explained to me that you did have an all-female panel earlier. Mm -hmm. But the thing I do have to mention, 
you've talked about the evolution of candidates and people who've been, you know, having their, their discussions for the past 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren is the candidate who actually switched from being a moderate Republican to a progressive Democrat because she did the research and she really looked at bankruptcy and she really looked at big banking. And so the evolution or the stick to of an argument really can also be, you know, applied to her as well mm. as Bernie Sanders. Mm. And the other mention that I did I did want to make is y'all have been talking about the candidates. You've been talking about, you know, whether Amy's voice has a hitch. You've talked about her communication style. And there was also a joke made earlier about Hillary Clinton. And really, it's, it's time for those types of, of comments to stop. There was really no need to make a mention about Hillary Clinton and how she ran her campaign and, and, and make light of it while having a discussion about this group of candidates. So mm. thanks much for hearing me. So, Don, I, I appreciate the call. Before I, before you go, I, I want to go back to your initial point about this being an all-male panel. I'm not sure I understand what your objection was to that, given that we said up front that we'd had an all-female panel to do the I, same thing. What, what, so I, And I, I understand that you did, but for those people who didn't have the benefit of hearing that perspective – they're now only hearing this perspective. And I think these days, when you're having discussions about candidates and debates and, and, and the political you know, place that we are, you can't ignore such a large portion of, of the uh, demographic in every conversation. So I'm not sure that splitting a panel based on gender for discussion necessarily paints a solid hmm. picture of what yeah. everyone's I think that's a fair criticism. I did, will, I didn't the Supreme Court have bad things to say about separate Separate but equal. I think Don is saying. I think Don is saying we're better together. Yeah. Well, I, I, would, I would point out also, though, that and here's a little plug: if you go to wdet.org, you can listen to every episode of Detroit Today, including the one where we had four women of different generations. Uh, but, but Don, I, I, I take your point there. I, I, I don't know that that it was inappropriate of anyone to point out, for instance, the hitches in. Amy Klobuchar's voice any more in Biden's any more than it is as I was going to say to point out the the kinds of stumbles that Joe Biden has been making uh, these are candidates and there are expectations about how they're going to perform and yes we should be really sensitive about not indulging stereotype or bias but uh, when you're assessing these candidates there are things about them that that stand out that aren't just about their policy positions but but again Don I really appreciate the the, the call and the the perspectives let's go to Jim in Waterford Jim welcome to the show Good morning. Hey. Um, I, I wanted to say that um, it, from the first introduction when everybody spoke, the first two older folks, and I'm of the older generation. Um, <laughs> Are you counting me as an older, 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 older folks? <laughs> <laughs> Jim. I'm, I'm about your age probably. So um, when, when, we, um, when you guys talked about the debate, it was about that made you tired and it was all about, you know, kind of it seems cynicism. Mm-hmm. And the younger two folks – all they talked about was the issues and what they cared about on the issues and mm. how people related to those issues. Mm. And I think that's a really indication of why we lost last time. I mean, the, the progressive community lost last time was the media it was completely cynical. All they cared about was what Donnie said and what Hillary was guilty of at that moment. Um, and they just, you know, the Colombian Journalism Review said it was the least covered 
issues of, the, of any in history of that they'd ever looked at. So the media basically just ignored issues and talked about yada yada, mm. Hillary's emails, all these things that were proven now false. And but they wouldn't focus on any of the issues they talked about. And I think it was because Donald Trump still to this day doesn't know anything about anything. So they're trying <laughs> to make it so he doesn't look like an idiot every time they speak. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling this what uh, I'm seeing uh, uh, the younger generation, which I talk to a lot. She's that same thing, I think. I, I hope my two compatriots here would say that, but maybe <laughs> I never grew up, but I'm still uh, I, I'm still have high hopes for this you have, stuff. You're optimistic. And, All right, Jim. I am an optimist. I, I appreciate that, and <laughs> I appreciate the call. I will let our two younger generational panelists answer Jim first, and then I'll get to the old folks. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's 100% correct. I think one thing that stood out to the younger generations yesterday was when Bernie when was when Bernie and Warren were going at it about whether a woman can win or not. They both came to a conclusion and said, "You know what? We talked about this. Let's move on and let's talk about the issues that matter." And I think for the younger generation, that's what we're looking for. We're we're looking for candidates who are fine, who are going to say it's time to move on. Let's talk about the issues that matter. And that's something that stood out to us yesterday. Thank you, Jim, for the nod. It's not often that we get validation from those who are older uh, than us, especially the millennials. We they we loved getting dumped on all the time. Uh, but, Jim, I think you speak to uh, something larger, and that is, you know, the polarization and the setting up of our news media and the, the kinds of questions that get asked on these bigger stages uh, that aren't really issue related. I do believe that uh, a candidate can beat Donald Trump on a policy agenda, right? I do believe that there is also time and space to what actually what Bloomberg is doing masterfully, the, running these anti-Trump campaigns. I think we have to pull different levers, but I do think that policy has to remain at the at the forefront. And I think that uh, most of the candidates last night did a good job of getting their stories out and talking about, to the best of their ability, given the questions that were asked, their policy agendas. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I, now, now we can have an intergenerational scrum. Yeah. <laughs> Love uh, it. Because I think a, a campaign that focuses on policy uh, may well be doomed. I agree. Um, hmm. it, any because democratic of the, because of the opponent any right? democratic nominee to win is going to have to persuade substantial majorities of each of the generations represented here to come out for them i i don't know if there's a universal issue in the big tent democratic party that excites all four of those generations mm. the the unifying issue is donald trump and i think if this campaign is about anything other than Donald Trump's fitness, if that is not front and center in the campaign to come, then the Democrats are in serious trouble. Well, you know, and before I get to, to Adrian, that I think is exactly Mike Bloomberg's point. That is the point of him talking about being a candidate, which I don't, I, I don't necessarily buy into the fact that he's really going to be a candidate, but the other things he's saying, which are about the things that he will do if he is not the candidate well, you to know, make sure that Donald Bloomberg, Trump doesn't win. 
Stop and frisk. I mean, you know, well, it's it's hard to get. It's hard, hard to get past, get past that. that sure. But I, I under I understand his strategy, and I think that the theme that you talk about, Brian, is underlying. We know, and most of us believe that Trump is unfit. We know that the uh, the strategy on part of the Democratic nominee would have to be to uplift that. But we also have to start. We, we made this mistake in 2016. Nobody talked about housing. Detroit is in a, a tax foreclosure crisis. Nobody's speaking about housing uh, the most marginalized among us in depth when we get on these big stages. No one is talking about real uh, criminal justice and prison reform when 13% of the population is in prison. Mm -hmm. No one no one is talking about that. I want to hear about that. I want to hear about how that's going to be fixed. I want to hear how I'm a millennial at 30, 31 years mm -hmm. old, and I still can't buy a house because I have miles and miles of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. You need to speak to that and you need to uh, you take you on this strategy. Huh? You think you got to do both. Uh, you have to do both. Yeah, we can yeah. walk and chew gum at the same time, can't we? We're smart. <laughs> so Maybe. I think that's really interesting, right? The um, Because historically, um, campaigns that are focused um, deeply on policy lose, right? Um, the flip side of that is the 2016 campaign was all about how Donald Trump was unfit for office, and he won. Um, and so simply campaigning on the fact that uh, or the opinion or whatever you want to call it, that Donald Trump is unfit for office. Um, we already tried that once. Now, granted, it was probably with the worst major party nominee other than Donald Trump that we've had in the last 40 years. Um, but, it, it, you know, it uh, we tried that once. Hmm. And so simply a focus on Donald Trump being unfit for office, um, I don't think is a winner. But historically speaking, you can't just focus um, on policy because I mean the fact of the matter is we're having a very um, you know a very thoughtful discussion here amongst the five of us. Um, but we all sort of touch on the political and policy universe. For your average woman or man on the street, they are not digging that deep into the details of policy. They want to hear from a candidate that they feel like is speaking to issues that are important for them. But they also don't want to feel like, um, you know, they have to have a master's degree in order to understand the policy <laughs> prescriptions that you're talking about. You've got to boil this down um, in a way that resonates with people who, you know, have different careers, frankly, than the five of us do. Yeah, yeah I think you know I think there is a level of personal responsibility that voters have to take in doing the research on the candidates, number yes. one. But, you know, my friend Yodita and I have these conversations about living in these dichotomies and trying to just break it down. It doesn't always have to to be either or. or we yes. actually think dichotomy is a tenet of white supremacy. <laughs> like it's like, you know, right and wrong and there's no in between when most of us are just sort of like floating somewhere in the middle of this spectrum. Yeah. So. No, that's a great that's a great point. One, uh, we, we need to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation. It's getting good now that we're having a little bit of a disagreement. I like that, right? Different perspectives bumping up against each other. We want to continue that conversation and we want to continue to hear from you, Charlie in Detroit, Ted in Detroit. We'll get to you next. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We have a panel of four men from different generations talking about last night's 
presidential debate in Iowa talking about American politics. This is a follow-up to a show we had a few months ago where we had four women from different generations doing the same thing, talking about the Democratic candidates, talking about politics in America as we prepare to vote for a president in November of this year. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and leave comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Before we get back to phones, uh, Adam Abusala, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, one thing that Jim and Don mentioned that uh, I think is very important is that they said that we focus too much on their performances or what they're saying or things that we focus on too much. And I agree with them. I think I look forward to the Democratic candidates, you know, talk about issues that matter. But I also think it is very important to spend a little bit of time on their performances and mistakes that we made in 2016, because all of us are ready to, you know, pick someone this year who can unite the Democratic Party and who can defeat Donald Trump in 2020. So I think it is very important to talk about the issues that matter, but also spend some time on mistakes that we made in 2016 so we could focus and f- learn from those mistakes. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Ted uh, in Detroit, and then I want to play a clip that's related to what Ted is asking about. Ted, go ahead. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, well, first off, what was on Tom Steyer's uh, hand last night? <laughs> no idea. Uh, I don't know. What are you talking about, Ted? <laughs> he had some sort of etched out crosses on his uh, one of his hands. Oh, but- really? I'll move on from that. Um, but <laughs> I didn't to, notice that. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Klobuchar, I think, has uh, kind of made the most sense last night. And I know in the beginning of the discussion, you guys, it was all Warren Sanders, Warren Sanders. So I'm kind of curious to get the Generation Z perspective on Klobuchar. And, hmm. um, and also, did it seem like they did a real slow pan on Pete Buttigieg's final statement last night and it which actually was pretty remarkable Hmm. all right well i want to play a clip of amy klobuchar in this clip she's talking about our own governor here in the state of michigan and forgetting the name of kansas governor Uh, but let's take a listen to what she said I point out that you don't have to be the tallest person in the room. James Madison was five foot four. Uh, You don't have to be uh, the skinniest person in the room. Uh, You don't have to be the loudest person. You have to be competent. And when you look at the facts, uh, Michigan has a woman governor right now, and she beat a Republican, Gretchen Whitmer. Kansas has a woman governor right now, and she beat Chris Kobach. And her name um, is, I'm very proud to know her, and her name is... Um, uh, governor Kelly. Thank you. All right. So she kind of forgot the, the governor's name, but that was a great point uh, about w- why she could be a formidable candidate in November. But let's let's talk about this this candidacy, which is not getting as much attention as some of the others. But I, I have to say, if we had to vote tomorrow here in the state of Michigan, Amy Klobuchar would be probably my pick. And one of the reasons is that she just seems each time they ask her a question, the things that she is saying are the most sensible. They are the most reasonable answers. And that, and I'm saying that as somebody who's looking for a candidate who I think can win as much as I'm looking for a candidate as much as, uh, who reflects the things that I think. I, I don't agree with her on 100 percent of the things that she believes. 
I think that what she's saying is the most sensible approach to the problems we have. But I, I want to hear from some of the other generations about that. I, I think she has the most to gain in Iowa. If, if Biden, Sanders, Warren, or Buttigieg do well in Iowa, they'll only be uh, reaching the, the expectations, uh, that, that reaching what people expected of them. If Klobuchar does well, if, if, she's she, if, she, right. if she outperforms any of those, she's in the scrum. And I, I believe that if she hasn't been effectively eliminated by the time the candidates get to Michigan in March, she's going to be a very formidable candidate. Yeah. She, uh, probably if, if Biden falters, the person who, who inherits his support. Who slips into that position. Yeah. What about the younger generation? I mean, are we scared of big and audacious ideas? I mean, I think that uh, now is the time to at least have those conversations, whether or not we can get some of these ideas through the House and Senate. I think uh, campaign time is the time to explore all of the things that are big and scary and may make sense or may not make sense. We we understand uh, once a person is empowered, the amount of work it takes to get legislation passed through the chambers of Congress. But I also think there's something to be said around politics who are vision, politicians who are visionaries, who have big ideas, who who's thinking and continuously evolving, who still who will not, I would say, uh, hold up, you know, the status quo. Mm. Uh, the last moderate. two the last two presidents fall squarely into the category you're talking about, yeah. right? Uh, Barack Obama had all kinds of things that he said he wanted to do. Donald Trump said, make America great again, which, uh, you know, is a very simplistic... I guess that's audacious. Well, yeah. it's, a simplistic, <laughs> it's a simplistic sounding slogan, but I, I think, again, it appeals to that idea of ambition for a lot of people. Great, right? Great again. That, that uh, you know, we can talk for hours yeah. about what he meant, but mm. for people who are listening, you know, for that kind of thing, they, they like it. And see, the, I, the problem is the big ideas that excite uh, younger generations in particular are also, there's almost a one-to-one -one correspondence between those and the ideas that older generations are most afraid of. And the problem is the incumbent president is a world-class fearmonger, mm -hmm. um, and those all those things yeah. become powerful yeah. ammunition. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, honestly, I think that voters looking to be um, inspired by presidential candidates is part of what's wrong with our politics right now. Yeah. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to say this again as a brown guy, politicians are the help, okay? Um, and if you don't view politicians right. as the help, you're not getting Stop your money's looking worth. at them to, to, to right. make all of the most important things. All right, I, I'm sorry to cut everyone off, yeah. but of course we are out of time. <laughs> I want to thank Brian Dickerson, Adrian Heman, Orlando Bailey, and Adam Abusala for being here. This was a really great conversation, all four of you. Uh, I loved having you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, Thank at 10, WDET is going to go to live coverage of Nancy Pelosi's special impeachment presser. Uh, so you want to stay tuned for that. Uh, come back tomorrow when uh, we are talking about how young people are navigating intimacy in the age of social media, Me Too, and navigating the new ideas around masculinity and femininity. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>